The lesson from the Hebrew Scriptures this morning comes from the book of Genesis. This is the second of the two creation stories from Genesis chapter 2. The author tells us that the Lord God planted a garden in the east and a river runs through it. And from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishan. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, bdellium, and onyx stone. The name of the second river is Kihan, and the name of the third is Tigris, and the fourth is Euphrates, which flows east of Assyria. So you'll notice that the beautiful solo Alyssa just sang is a paraphrase of our New Testament lesson, which comes from Revelation 22, the last chapter in the Bible, where John of the Apocalypse writes, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the streets of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit. And there will be no more night there. They need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. So I'm so honored to be sharing this sermon with my friend Cameron Davis. I love this. Cam is sometimes called the water czar of the Great Lakes. He's also a commissioner for the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District in Greater Chicago. Welcome, Cam. And so I chose these two scripture lessons for us this morning because I wanted to remind us that the Bible is bookended by paradise. The Bible starts in a garden and it ends in a city, but both places are paradises with crystalline rivers and flourishing trees and sparkling gems and maximum habitability. We travel from home to home. Our origin is God and our destiny is God. We have many misadventures in between, but we travel from home to home, from paradise to paradise. And home then and now is where the rivers are, right? Most of the world's great cities are the world's great cities because they were planted next to rivers. Mesopotamia, which is Greek for in the middle of the rivers, is the cradle of civilization because it is embraced by the Tigris and Euphrates, also the site of the Garden of Eden. There's the Nile in ancient Egypt, the Tiber in Rome, the Seine in Paris, the Thames in London, the Hudson in New York, and of course the Chicago River and the Great Lakes here in Chicago. The human family can flourish only when it is proximate to mighty waters. Because water, of course, is the sine qua non of life. No water, no life. It's as simple as that. Anywhere in the universe, so far as we know, no water, no life. You've heard the old axiom that a human being can survive seven minutes without oxygen, seven days without water, and seven weeks without food, right? And in the Bible, water is both a gift and a problem. Sometimes the problem is a surfeit of water, as in Noah's flood, or when God has to part the Red Sea so that the Hebrews can cross from bondage in Egypt to freedom and promise in Canaan. And sometimes the problem of water is a dearth of water, as when God has to make potable water gush from the flinty rock when the Hebrews are wandering in the dusty wilderness. 
And so in the Bible, always and everywhere, water is a symbol of God's unfailing grace, of God's solicitous faithfulness to God's people, always. And in Islam, the Quran reminds us why we must appreciate water when God asks, have you seen the water that you drink? Is it you who brought it down from the clouds or is it we who bring it down? If we willed, we could have made it bitter. So why aren't you grateful? In Sunnah, the Islamic body of practice, it is said that humans are co-owners of three things, water, fire, and pastures, and therefore we must share them. In Buddhism, water symbolizes purification, cleansing ourselves of delusion and aversion by embracing generosity, wisdom, and most important, kindness. The offering of water is a reminder to care for the environment upon which we are all dependent and interdependent. And another foundation in Buddhism is the concept of right action. That is, doing, intentionally, conducting ourselves with compassion for all life. And if all life depends on water, then one way to take right action or karma is to act to protect our water on which all life relies. Our neighbors, the Anishinaabe, call the water we drink Nibi, and the water we cry Nibiwish. Throughout our Great Lakes region, we're fortunate to have some 35 federally recognized Native American nations, and together they believe, so elegant in its simplicity, that water is life. And water isn't just life, water is living which is why the New Zealand Maori tribe has granted the Wanganui River the same legal rights as a human being, considering it an ancestor. <laughs> Cam, thank you for quoting the prophet Muhammad, who said, the best charity is to give water to drink, right? Jesus of Nazareth said almost the same thing when he said, I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. And inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. And so I think the time that I wept most intensely for my country was when I saw those videos of those United States border agents dumping jugs of water that had been placed there by Good Samaritans for migrants in the Sonoran Desert of the American Southwest. 200 people die in that wilderness every year. Did you know your tax dollars were subsidizing such cruelty? Think about the parallel between where we live and who we are. Here in this region, the Great Lakes comprise about 20% of the Earth's fresh surface water, 83% of North America's, and 93% of the U.S. fresh surface water supply. At the same time, 60% of our bodies are made up of water. Our lungs are 83%, skin 64%, and even our bones made up of about 31% water. And this is one of my favorite parts. As we think about the division between heart and mind, 73% of our hearts are made up of water, and guess how much of our brains are made up of water? 73%. I guess if we are what we eat, then we also must be what we drink, and therefore we think because we drink. <laughs> So, it's little wonder that how we treat our water is a reflection of how we treat ourselves. If we keep our water healthy, we keep ourselves and our neighbors healthy. If we pollute our water, 
We pollute ourselves and our neighbors. And when we cover our land with hard surfaces, we flood ourselves and our neighbors. Water can exist in three forms. Liquid, gas, think the vapor on a hot, humid summer day, and solid, think the ice that you sometimes see on Lake Michigan this time of year. Water can be slippery and barely tangible, yet over time, tough enough to carve out great canyons. Also, like us, water lives on land, may be lowered to the ground, and rise again. Water, like us, constantly seeks equilibrium. We can perish from too much and not enough. And water has a sense of humor. Why do its negative ions make us feel so positive? <laughs> All the water in the universe was created billions of years ago. There will never be another drop. Did you know that the ancient waters in our underground aquifers all over the globe is sometimes called fossil water because it's a million years old? And so we'd better take good care of it. And some of you were with us a couple of weeks ago on a Monday night when Cam was here to talk to us about the spirituality of sewage. I left that talk so heartened and so optimistic because he talked to us about how our civil servants are trying desperately to protect our rivers and the waters of Lake Michigan. It was a wonderful evening. Our beliefs, whether they're religious or purely philosophical, are roadmaps for our lives, guiding our journeys from day to day. If water can be transformed from one state to another, it's only natural that we transform our beliefs into action. March 22nd, coming up, is World Water Day. And one month to the day after that, April 22nd, is Earth Day. What will you do to act on your beliefs between now and then? Will you educate? Will you conserve? Eliminate waste? After all, in nature, there is no such thing. Yeah. So we all have a watery cathedral, right? It's a holy place on the banks of the Pier Marquette, or on the shore of Green Bay in Door County, or Big Sur, or Penobscot Bay, or Key West, some holy place for our families. Peter and Alice know that my holy place for my family is Michigan's Leelanau Peninsula, sticking like a pinky into Grand Traverse Bay. When I'm up there with my family, I feel almost as close to God as I do when I'm here with you at Kenilworth Union Church, exactly 1,000 feet from the shore of Michigami. Cam and I have a mutual friend whose name is George Hartwell. George is an ordained Reformed Church in America minister, also in the United Church of Christ. He served for 12 years with distinction as the mayor of my hometown. Grand Rapids, Michigan. And George tells about a solo camping expedition he took along the pit pictured rock trail between Munising and Grand Marais, Michigan. And he talks about how at dusk one night he walked out onto a bluff overlooking Lake Superior and there were ominous thunderclouds rolling in from the west and the waves were crashing on the rocks below him and he said that that experience sent him into a trance-like state. He said, there was water above me, and there was water below me, and there was water within me, 
and it's all the same water. It felt as if I was one with the sky and with the lake, a child of the universe at peace. Yes? I think one of my favorite books of all time is A River Runs Through It by University of Chicago professor Norman McLean. It's about a family of fly fishermen. And maybe I love it so much because the father in the story is a Presbyterian minister. Or maybe I love it so much because it has one of the most eloquent last lines of any book that I've ever read. Eventually, all things merge into one and a river runs through it. The river was cut from the world's great flood and runs over rocks from the basement of time. And some of the rocks are timeless raindrops. I am haunted by waters. Water unites us. No matter our race, our age, our sexual orientation, our socioeconomic status, or any other personal history, we all need water to survive and to thrive. Every drop of water has been used before, and it'll be used again to feed life. So, we must leave it as our greatest legacy, not attaching our names to it, but attaching our care and attaching our stewardship. We leave you with this. Instead of asking, who do you want to be? Try asking, what do you want to be? And why not aspire to be water? Clear in our convictions to protect it so that it can continue to provide for us. Tranquil in the confidence in those convictions. Powerful in turning our convictions into action. And remembering that water unifies us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.